Say that podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Everything's going fine. <laughs> so, joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. I'm just blessed and highly favored. Mm. Doesn't sound right. Joining us, Olive Mercury, Tennessee, a man who has hit the hardest by us starting an hour late, being that he's been up for a very, very long time. One of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Thank you for introducing me, Matt King. That's good. A all reference right. to an off-mic joke that ended with Glenn, of all people, saying, but of course we can't say that. I just yeah. want So that's just... all the info I'm going to give you. I just right. want to give Glenn home, some joy. Right if yeah. anybody at home figures out the awful thing we couldn't reference, <laughs> email saythatpodcast at gmail.com, yeah. and, and we you... will find a reward for you. Yeah, you get a prize. Well, are we ready to just get right into the wisdom? I like questions? to get to the wisdom. That's what I like to in. do. Like no hesitation. Well, I understand we got some great questions. We have an interview coming up with uh, musical artist Jordan Feliz. That was a really cool chat. Very nice guy. But first, what I have to declare an American emergency. Ooh, emergency. That's specific. And actually, it's an emergency. I need some help. I come to the brain trust on this because I need to figure this out. I went to social media, and they weren't helpful. Well, they never are. I just got quips and accusations and puns. That that happens sometimes. So I'm at the grocery store last night. I get, get, get gathering, you know, the essentials and whatnot. So I'm obviously mm. walking through the uh, the frozen confections area. Right. Makes perfect sense. That's, and I, uh, I see a thing. Yeah. And what I need your help with, gentlemen, is is this thing the pinnacle of American late capitalism achievement? Right. Or its greatest crime? Okay. Because okay. I honestly don't know. Okay. okay. What I saw in the frozen foods aisle was an Oreo churro. Whoa. Mm. You picture a churro in your mind. We've discussed churros. Lee's had them in Spain. Yes. Unlike so. some of us. Yeah, we yeah. over there we pronounce them churros. No, well you you shouldn't have. What, uh, what, <laughs> People whatever. from Spain should have. They would have looked at you askance if you did. Yeah. Because <laughs> when I was in Scotland, when I tried to order things in a Scottish accent. They didn't find that adorable at all. No, no, <laughs> like at all, at all. No. <laughs> was it was it a little bit over the top and a little bit Austin Powersy? A little bit, little okay, bit. I see. I was I wearing see. the 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 tam. I had uh-huh, the hat. Uh-huh. They didn't care for yeah, that. Yeah, with the big uh, thing even a little there, yeah. bit. Yeah, with the poof ball. Yeah, they didn't. yeah. I brought that from home. I didn't buy it there. Sure. But so you you picture a churro in your mind. You know, it's right. that thing, and then there's the filling in the middle of it. Right. This was Oreo style cookie as the right. outside right and then oreo filling in the middle right frozen and i honestly can't tell if this is the greatest thing ever or <laughs> proof that humanity as a species cannot be allowed to continue i think i have to recuse myself from from this conversation being that i currently you busted me in the middle of dissecting and enjoying a double stuff oreo right now wow. he's wow. in the pocket I- of big nabisco <laughs> I didn't know that we were going to be talking about this, Jet, and I was enjoying Jet, if it's Oreos. A, if it's an actual for-profit company, yeah. you, accusing Nabisco of being big isn't like a slur. Oh, it's not? They put that out there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's, I, in the, he's in the pocket of big Nabisco, then. So you go, being as though Jed is unclear on it, this is not a congressional committee. Right. right. I'm just, I, I welcome the biases. Sure. Right. I, as an Oreo fan, I think 
Lee's input is all the more valid. Uh, here, here's here's what I'm saying. You know, I'm gonna I'm putting it out there. Please do. The conundrum here. Yes, good word. Super racist, but also possibly delicious. Okay. And uh, I and there's another thing I want on the record. Yeah. If if we get raided by Lulac, I'm throwing you guys under the bus. Okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I feel like I should be honest about that now. Sure. I don't. I because I for one uh, welcome our new uh, Latino overlords. Absolutely. Well, Glenn, this speaks less to the uh, the racial component there and more to just none of us are ever surprised when you throw us under the bus. That's well. That's you have a, said to me uh, out loud in front of other people. If this person is angered by the thing I say, I can't throw you under the bus fast enough. That, well, this is the thing: is <laughs> some people like that they're gonna they're gonna hold their ground and fight to the last. I'm more of an early capitulator. Sure, you know what I mean. When I saw the 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 Planet of the Apes, yeah, movie, you're siding with the monkeys. Well, the monkeys are taking over. Sure, sure. let's go and with that. that. It's a documentary. That monkey's about, on a horse, dude. We're done. That's you know, we had a good run. Now sure. it's over. <laughs> yeah, these guys are gonna call the shots. Well, you know what? I'm gonna be the first one to come out and say, all right then. Yeah, you know, let's do it. Yeah, you know, I. I have a lot of monkey-like tendencies. Well, sure, me. sure, absolutely. I mean, I take this shirt off. I'm pretty darn furry. You okay. Know? So I think they they feel like okay, he's halfway there. Sure, absolutely. He's sort of down with us, so I can fit in. Right. See what I'm saying? So that's my that's my strategy. Okay. Is whoever the new overlord is, you just want to welcome your new overlord. I want to. Yeah. I I for one welcome our new. Well, this overlords. goes back to a, a conversation about the ladies' Christian mafia we've had on recent right. episodes and a. Glenn will cut your hamstrings. That's yep. right. To stay you're, out of trouble with the LCM. You are on your true. own. If you if you're messing with the LCM, I am not. I am distancing myself from you, both uh, 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 symbolically and literally. Well, then let's ask this. Bring it all full circle. Oreo churros are they an effective tool for appeasing the Lady Christian Mafia? That's an interesting mm. idea. Wow. Because if they are, then definitely mankind's greatest achievement. I feel like that's that is a. A very gentle needle you have to thread. Okay, tell me. Because who wouldn't be... Th- well, I, I think we can go to the social media presence, where okay. I put this on the a picture of the thing. I can't believe I saw this. Internet helped me. The internet didn't help me. Didn't they help never me. do. Jed didn't help me. No. He only said, you, you're bringing those to staff meeting, right? Yeah. A staff uh-huh. meeting that involved his wife's birthday party. Yes. Which right. he wanted Oreo churros brought to. Yes. Right. Now, I didn't do that. Because speaking of stay on the right side of the LCM, where Jed was very enthusiastic, his wife's response was just, oh. <laughs> right. So I think, though, on some dark level within us all, we would all enjoy at least one time an Oreo churro. Sure. Right. To go to someone of the female persuasion who is upset and say, you seem upset. Would you like an Oreo would churro? Would an Oreo churro fix uh, it? Let me, that, you got to finesse that. I want to jump in on that. Please do. Because- First of all, I think the Oreo churro, churro is just trying too hard. You know what I'm saying? Okay. It's not, you, you didn't put in a lot of time and thought into this because you're like, it's Oreo, it's churro, it's frozen, etc. chocolate, boom, sure. done. you know, done. No, but you take a, a, a flaky puff pastry with a, 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 a fruit blend with a chocolate drizzle, something in this family. Sure. That kind of something of that category, maybe with a croissant kind of feel to it overall, 
you're on another level. You're saying something that denotes effort. This is tw- which th- the Oreo churro very much does not. <laughs> this is more than this one. This is more than two decades worth of marriage experience. Speaking sure, of, of course, okay. of course, they got to see the sweat. Yeah, Matt, that raises an important do. question. I'm sure it doesn't. Was there a subtitle on the box? Oreo churros, food for giving up. Yeah. Was. Okay. It's just a guy. The you know how sometimes they'll have the cutout and it's like yeah. it's Dale Earnhardt or it's Michael Jordan or Drink yeah. Gatorade. It was just a guy in stained sweatpants <laughs> yeah. with a white t shirt that just said, Eat it, don't eat it, I don't care. <laughs> right. yeah. Which this brings yeah. us to, as we always do on this show, we hope that there are some first every here's the thing, every show is somebody's first show. Yeah. For the most part. And maybe today we've got some, some Jordan Feliz fans who sure. want to hear him talk. Well, hello. Have tuned hello. in. Hello. One of the things you should know about the, this show is no matter how wholesome uh-huh. or middle of the road the topic we choose, mm-hmm. we find the horrifying dark underbelly. Yes, that's our giftedness. Now, you yeah. might say... It took you less than three minutes to get from haha Oreo product to shirtless Glenn betraying mankind. Right. Yeah. Is that right. not the dark evil underbelly? Right. We haven't even, even got there yet. <laughs> okay. Here's <laughs> what I'm pitching. Dig you, deeper on this. Which Glenn brings us to the point of it doesn't seem like there was a lot of uh, care right. or craftsmanship mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. went into this idea. It doesn't seem like this was somebody's best work. Mm-hmm. Is there a room full of writers and MFAs and creative types at Nabisco who are locked in a basement? Mm. <laughs> Somebody said, make up new Oreo stuff. Right. I think said, that's possible. Triple stuff? So you're you're saying it's a human trafficking issue. Absolutely. <laughs> I follow that. Yes. No doubt about it. You know, you see the ads. It's a tough job, Mark. You say, like, you know, copywriter or ad writer, creative right. type. You have an English degree or history. Come on in. Oh, they, they don't want you to write the copy. You have to go in an island of Dr. Moreau-style <laughs> Oreo laboratory yeah, and come up with new creations. But what if, the, yeah. uh, what, what if you bite into one of these Oreo churros and you realize that it's not just, uh, you know, guys locked in a basement just combining the words Oreo with other things and then just making it happen? What if you bite into this thing and you find out it's like a true hipster artisanal dessert on a totally other level i mean you're are we even are we ready for that you're saying it's an ironic dessert yes yes mm, no question. ironically delicious this is almost like a it's like a it's we're talking about like a a craft dessertery right. uh, it's you know, like a, it's like I, a I, section of nabisco i think what we're talking about and this is such a horrifying idea i think we need to end on it have did we discover the pbr of confectionery ice I think creams. we have. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's objectively it's, terrible. That's right. But somehow people in Brooklyn decided it should be a thing, and now right. we have to all live with that. Okay. Well, here's the way we can answer it for sure. If you're in a rock band playing yes. crappy clubs currently, if this is the dessert they give you for free <laughs> for playing at the club, Done. email us in and let us know, and then we'll have the answer to that the, question. This, this is spoken like someone who's been in a club <laughs> where he was playing. PBR was on offer. Yeah. And it was not immediately refused for the insult that it clearly is. Yes. So, yeah. Okay. So, here we go. I'm going to close this out with this. We brought up really nothing that could be more kind of wholesome, middle of the road, generic, American. It's an ice cream sandwich type thing. Here's what happened. Glenn is immediately betraying people left and right. Yep. Yep. I found the dark post-capitalist nightmare angle. Yep. Lee has given us 
maybe it's pretty good. <laughs> right. Maybe that's, everybody involved is doing their best, and we right. can enjoy it. That's right. right. And Jed has found a way to make it about sad musician experiences. Yes. Uh-huh. And if this is your first episode, I can think of no better summation of each of us. <laughs> there you, there you and on that note, I declare emergency off. I have a lot of simian tendencies. That's all I'm saying. Sure, absolutely. And Jed played in a band called Simian Tendencies and got offered PBR. <laughs> that's right. And Lee was at the show and thought it was really nice. <laughs> he, let's be honest, he was the only one. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's right. he, you know, little little something for the effort there. So we do want to do the quick. There's no way to transfer from any of that nonsense into a Bridgebox plug. We have a thing called Bridgebox. We want Bible studies, sermons, music, lots of good stuff based around a topic. This last month's topic was how do I get good godly rest, and uh, so stuff like that. We've done depression, we've done anxiety, we've done relationship boundaries, we've done dating, we've done uh, habitual sin. Lots of good stuff. If you want some helpful stuff on that that also goes to support the inner city ministry we do up here in Chicago for only $8 a month, head on over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. This question comes in anonymously to our email address. If you have a question for us, hang out with us all the way to the end. I give you some ways to get in touch with us. This says, hello, gents. I think based on this last segment, uh, we can agree that that's probably not the right. Yeah, gents, it's a bit of overkill. Question for you. How do you prepare to walk into a serious conversation with a loved one, friend, family member, girlfriend, when you know that the situation has the potential to become very emotionally charged? As well, what do you do during the conversation to keep this from being a contest of feelings being tossed around and who can toss them the hardest? Thanks, guys. Love what you do. And Jed, why don't you start us off? It's a great question. Really appreciate you writing in. Uh, Obviously, the specifics of your situation would inform this a bit, but... I think in general what we can say is that if we'll start by viewing the conversation as kind of the way that you would view a well-organized meeting, right? If you were having a meeting with someone, you would want to have a clear agenda. Here's the stuff that we want to cover. Here are the the things that we need to look at. And you would have measurable goals for that meeting. In in other words, we're having this meeting to discuss topic X, whatever that is. And the meeting will be adjourned once we have decided to go in either direction A or direction B as it pertains to topic X. Mm -hmm. That is what we're doing here. Feelings about topic X and direction A and direction B may come up. That's fine. But Mm -hmm. that's not the point of this meeting. The the point of this meeting is to discuss options pursuant to topic X and then choose either option A or option B as a result. Mm -hmm. That's what we're here to do. Uh, We have one hour to do that. At the end of that hour, we will choose either A or B. And then the meeting will be adjourned. If you're in the business world, that's how you would approach a meeting. That's the right way to approach Mm -hmm. a meeting anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's actually a lot of good wisdom there for your situation. Being, having a clear sense of here's what we're here to talk about. This is the, the thing we're discussing, right? So say this is a person you're in a romantic relationship with. It's difficult to have a meeting about your relationship. Right, that, that's right, a right. bit yeah. too broad of, of a topic. But you could have a meeting about the way that we deal with being mad at each other. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, uh, we currently, you know, the, the topic is us being mad at each other. The problem is we do not currently handle that terribly well. Mm-hmm. Do we want to, A, see a counselor about that, 
or B, see a pastor about that. Those, right. those, those are the two options. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. That kind of structure helps keep things far, far less emotionally charged, far more uh, straight down the middle. The other thing about it is by keeping it less emotionally charged, it may help the other person communicate more effectively as mm-hmm. well. Um, it, it, it will help you because you've done the planning, but it'll actually help them too. And it may... <laughs> As emotions come up, it may actually, though, give you a better sense of the problems you are dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, if, mm-hmm. if everything isn't clouded by just a haze of emotion, you may say, well, there's a lot of emotion, but it's only about this one specific detail. So that gives us a clue of that's the arena we need to get into and figure out what's going on there. Right. That's a really good place to start. And it sounds a little clinical. It sounds a little cold. But as, again, as a structure, that is the way a lot of us do counseling meetings. That mm-hmm. is right. that idea of an agenda. You don't have to, Obviously, Jed's exaggerated a little bit there. You wouldn't... You wouldn't uh, you probably shouldn't refer to dinner with your girlfriend as a meeting. Yeah, right. But that idea of we are talking about something and it is this. So if other things come up, we're going to drive it back to this. And Glenn, maybe if I can get you to talk about this idea of that doesn't mean dismissing emotions. Absolutely. Because that starts way more fights than it solves. That's but right. But there are emotions that will come up that are not going to help you solve the problem. That's right. So how do we find the line between those two things? Well, yeah, I think the, the, the first thing is to recognize um, that we're not refereeing those emotions. So yeah. it's not, I'm not here to determine whether your emotions are valid. You aren't here to determine whether my emotions are valid. Feelings are feelings. They kind of can't really be right or wrong. They can be based on truth or not truth. And they can be proportional or not proportional. That's but... right. And I, I, but, but what I, what I, where I want to start is to recognize, A, I care about how you feel. B, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you not to feel it. And I'm, and I'm willing to listen to your feelings as a, as a, as a relevant part of this. Right. So there are times where I, I will be engaging in a conversation with someone and they say, well, here's what I feel about what's going on. And then they say something insane, <laughs> you know, that is not based on truth. I feel like I have magical ties to my ex-boyfriend. Right. Mm, uh, no, don't. And then, so what I, what I experience in that moment is I need to understand um, that someone is talking about how they feel. They're not stating that as, as, as a fact. They're not, you know, whatever. So I want to validate that, that emotional experience. I, I, I hear how you, what you're saying. And I sympathized with how you feel, and I need to express that. I need to be clear about that. And I and and there are times when I say, "Well, look, I'm I'm not going to campaign you to agree with what I'm saying here, but I want to address your feelings, describe the situation, and maybe cast it in a different light. You tell me what you think, because what I'm doing now is I'm shifting off of feelings into thinking. Mm-hmm. Now we're analyzing." I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not dismissing feelings. I want to hear that. I want to register it. And then we can sort of set that aside and move forward. This is the exact same thing we want to do in our walk. You want to go to the Lord. You want to vent. You want to say, I feel this. I feel this. I feel this. I feel this. Okay, take those feelings away from me because, you know, just right. now that I've sorted through it, I can give it up to you. But now what am I supposed to think about this situation? Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to deal? So you want to have the same thing in, in uh, your relationship with her. Now, Here's what's going to be interesting. Sometimes when people are emotional, especially in sort of couple situations, they'll one person that is emotional will say something really important and really good and 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 uh, something that you need to hear that is helpful to the situation. 
but they say it in a very emotionally charged, semi-insane, semi-deranged way. Right. So your job is to listen past the emotion of that and hear what's underneath that and bring that. So I can say, I hear that you're angry, but but the other thing is you're making a point here that I wasn't seeing before. Mm -hmm. You're telling me something new I wasn't looking at. I want to pull, I mean, I'm not trying to, to tell you not to feel what you're feeling. I'm not trying to dismiss that. I'm not trying to ignore that. But I want to take that thing that you were saying and bring that into the light. I want you to tell me more about that. I want to hear. So again, it's investigating, it's thinking, it's analyzing. So I'm not dismissing feelings and I'm not invalidating feelings mm-hmm. at all. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, uh, saying, oh, don't, don't give me all your feelings stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I am trying to do is to show I am concerned about you, and I care about your opinion. Your opinion is not more important than mine. Mm-hmm. I want to hear, and you have thoughts on this that, I, that, that are going to help us figure this out. I want to hear that. So I, if you see what I'm saying, I think we can show sometimes more care and more concern by pushing into the analysis part. Yeah. Nobody have any feelings is never a thing Glenn would say. <laughs> Not at all. Right. Open a ministry meeting with. That's right. Uh, Good's right. a very important word there. He's uh, talking to one of those things, and that was, I hear what you're saying, and I empathize with it. Right. That's a very important concept. And Leah, I'd love to get you to talk to this, because I feel like maybe a lot of folks have a— um, a misunderstanding of being an empathetic person in yeah. that if I get to the point of having conflict, then that has left the room and that's why we can go no holds barred. But empathy plays a very important part in dealing with conflict, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's one of the most important things you need in a conversation like this is to understand what empathy actually does. So when you're in a conversation like this, there are going to be words said, there are also going to be uh, tones used, and then there's going to be, how the different decisions and situations play out based on the decisions we make, like what Jeb was talking about at the beginning. So you've got words, you've got the tones uh, that the words are said with, and then we've got where we're going to land with all this stuff. What we're saying is actually going to happen when we're done. And your goal, one of the goals that you need to have in this situation is, and this, it has to be an intentional thing that you're thinking because everything inside your heart and your mind is going to give you, especially if you have a certain kind of personality, um, especially if you're a dude, you're going to have an automatic tendency to approach this like a lawyer in a courtroom. Yeah. And so, you know, you're listening to a person, you're analyzing the things they say, you're looking for the holes, and you can't wait till it's your next turn to talk. Right. So you now I'm going to start just punching the holes in this thing. But you have to make an intentional decision that what I want to do is I want to listen and try to figure out how my words and how this situation plays out and how my tones seem from your perspective. Yeah, That's what empathy does. Empathy Mm. says, I'm looking at this Mm. and trying to understand the way that you must feel based on the way the world looks from where you're sitting in this situation. So we've got this thing. We've got a decision we've got to make. These are the words that I've said about this in the past couple of weeks or whatever. What does that feel like when it's you? How do those words that I've been saying, how do these tones that I've been using, how do these decisions we're making, how does this stuff feel if I'm in your shoes? And if you can say that kind of stuff, I'm telling you, if you can, even if you're wrong about 
it must feel like this. And if they're like, no, that's not what it feels like at all. But you'll also hear this. But thanks for trying to understand it from my perspective. If you can do that, what you're going to do is you're going to reduce the temperature of the conversation. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, the thing that we're trying to do in these conflict situations is we're trying to reduce the temperature. Because mm-hmm. when the temperature goes up and people start talking faster and they start and the volume rises, that's when sense and what Glenn was talking about, thinking and all that stuff and mm-hmm. actual meeting goals, all that stuff goes out the window. And all of a sudden, you're just like your mother and you always blah, 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 and you never da, 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 da. And now we're just, now we're just entrenched and throwing grenades, you know? And so what we want to do is... You want to, you're going to have an instinct to defend yourself. You're going to have an instinct to be looking at this person, everything this person's saying, and be ready to punch holes in it like a lawyer. You don't want to be a lawyer. You want to be a friend. And what a friend is able to do is to say, you know, I'm trying to understand this from your point of view. And that must have really felt weird that I said this. I'm sorry for the way that that came across, but it's my intention that we move, you know, and, and then. That's a bridge that you build to be able to talk about the next thing. And it's a huge and important thing. But the thing you've got to understand about empathy is it does take a lot of times a concerted effort to not be the lawyer, but to decide, I'm going to try to understand this from your point of view. Yeah. That is a lot of really strong stuff. I think that idea of lowering the temperature in the room is incredibly important. And what you're hearing all three of these guys talk about is that you don't actually do that by putting off the emotional part of the conversation. That's one way in which these kind of things are different than a business meeting, a meeting you might have with a professor or something. This is not, I'm pissed and you're pissed, but we're not going to talk about that because we have to figure out, you know, mm, the right. thing on the Johnson report. If we, the, the quickest way to deal with the, the temperature they're in the tension is to deal with it yeah, and right. get it out. Cause it's that little, as Lee saying, I don't feel like I was heard on this, or I feel like this was dismissed. But those are the things that if you leave a meeting a conversation with those, that's the kind of stuff that sticks in someone's craw and really becomes a bigger part later on. So as Glenn often says on the show, the cheapest price to pay is now. Mm-hmm. That goes to do with uh, boundaries of all kinds, but it also goes to do with dealing with kind of this kind of emotional stuff. The quicker you can get it out, the less it's going to fester into other stuff. Absolutely right. Are right, we taking out to another uh, Say That interview? So I got a chance to uh, talk to a musician, a really cool guy called Jordan Feliz. He's got a new record coming out that uh, he's on the same label as some folks we've interviewed, uh, Andrew Peterson and some other folks. It's a uh, he has been in a metal band. We talk about that. He played the Warped Tour when he was in, in wow. right out of high school because, sure. Absolutely. But uh, grew up listening to like uh, soul music. So okay. now he's kind of made a record where he really wanted to do what he wanted to do. It's very cool. He's actually been on like Christian radio stuff. He has had a top 10 single on iTunes off this record. So it's very cool for us to meet somebody and get to talk to somebody who is on Christian radio and is, you could hear on a K love and kind of some of that stuff we poke fun at who not only made a, a good record and a good song, but has a cool heart behind it, which you're going to hear in this. He talks about a uh, ministry and set up conversations and a lot of good stuff. So we're going to take awesome. you to that right now. Uh, like I said, let her trace the story. So, Started out in California, touring with the Warp Tour right out of high school, and we end up in Nashville making music for Jesus. So, so how do we start there? What, what's what's it like being on the Warp Tour when you're a kid? Man, you know, 
it's it's definitely a pretty crazy you know i i uh my when i was 17 i joined like a like a kind of like a heavy rock or metal band you know and um like our 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 thing was we we still wanted to we were all believers you know but we really wanted to take jesus's name kind of into a genre that there was not like a whole lot of jesus being talked about you know and so um that was kind of like our goal and um man it was really great i mean as a kid you know being out with guys that are you know several years older than you is kind of like you know growing up with four old older brothers you know that were pretty protective over me and (laughs) and all that and it was it was awesome man i had a lot of fun and, and we got to see a lot of stuff and see the Lord do a lot of things, you know? And then, you know, after, uh, after that season was over, I, uh, I took a job at a church and, and I was a worship leader at a church, um, for a year. And in that year, my wife and I, um, I, I, I actually had gotten a phone call from a friend who is actually now my manager. Um, and he was just kind of t- telling me, he's like, man, I've, I just really think you should come to Nashville and try to write some songs with some people out here. Like if I paid for a flight for you, will you come out here? And I was just like, man, I'd love to. And flew out to Nashville, just fell in love with it. Um, you know, and, and that's kind of where the story got started of praying on it. And then, you know, almost a year to the date of me flying and starting to pray about it. Um, we moved to Nashville and, three years later, man, I'm talking to you and I mean, it's just been a, a crazy journey, man. It's been a lot of fun and, you know, watching the Lord kind of do stuff and, and it's, it's been amazing. That's, that's incredible. It's especially interesting that you start off, you know, with those two incredibly disparate experiences, you know, you're on, as you said, in a place, there's not really a lot of Jesus. You're on a hard metal tour and then you immediately go to, a church gig, which is obviously a very different environment, has has seeing things from both sides of that uh, changed the way or affected the way you approach kind of writing songs and interacting with people. You know, you've been kind of seeing so much of that. Does that help you kind of communicate that message in a different way to have maybe seen sides of reaching out to people that other people haven't seen? Man, yeah, I think so. You know, I, I think... Um... I think it just it's it's prepared me for maybe somebody who doesn't really know Jesus, you know, like doesn't really know what faith is, and and I think it's prepared me for some some of the tougher conversations with people at shows, maybe if they're you know coming to the church and not really knowing why they're there, you know. Sure. Um, but um, it. I mean, honestly, I'm really thankful for it because I've I've just been around the road and around people, you know, for for a long time, and I think um, the Lord has kind of gifted me with this discernment, and it allows me to kind of like tie into that and to push into that and to learn, and and I think, man, it's it, it's it's really awesome. I, I love it, man. I, I love people, so that's kind of like one of the reasons why I really feel like the Lord has me where He has me. So what what's the sound of the new album? So the album's the river, and I feel like I want to get pe- give people the right idea because we've done the warp tour talk. The sound is very much not that. So what's been discovering your own sound over the years been like? 
Man, it, it's it's actually been really exciting. Um, I grew up like listening to like a lot of like soul music, like with my parents. Like uh, I grew up like listening to Al Green, okay, Sam Cooke, and um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, The Commodores. You know, like I just kind of grew up in that presence of music, and um, and so it's kind of it's kind of like one of those things where like. I never really had a passion for metal music. Like, that was never, like, my thing. I was just there mainly for, like, the ministry side. Like, you know, it was never something that I just was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited about writing this music or anything. Um, So the moment that I started doing my own solo thing, it was just, it it felt real natural to just kind of start digging into my roots a little bit more. Um, And so, man, it's been really fun. I kind of, I kind of call, I call... I call it pop soul. Um, and, and really the soul of it doesn't mean like soul music, but it's more of like the soul, like authentic, you know, like it's from my heart more than anything. Um, I don't really put anything that I don't believe in or I don't really, I, you know, I just, I put everything I have in, into the songs that I write, you know? And so um, that's what really the soul represents for me in the pop is more about the uplifting nature of the song um, rather than like, you know, bubblegum pop kind of like style or anything. Um, Even though it has some essence of like some pop stuff, I really wanted to just infuse like some different sounds and different sonic stuff than typical, you know, what is out there in Christian music, just because, you know, I just felt like the Lord was calling me to just do something that, that pushes the limits a little bit, you know what I mean? And so that's what I kind of really, um, you know, when, when I felt like he was calling me to do that, I was a little nervous, you know, Sure. but at the same time, I feel like he gifted me the tools and the people around me to be able to achieve it. And, um, I mean, man, I'm super blessed and I feel privileged that he's kind of given me the platform and, and the tools to be able to create music and with people, you know, um, and to be able to continue to do it and, and have it received so well. It's fascinating. You talk about that kind of starting out doing the music as ministry piece We're when we're missionaries, we talk a lot about kind of doing what the, what the, uh, mission field requires. If that's like you're saying, you know, if that's the, the cookie monster metal or kind of wherever you're doing prison ministry, whatever it is, but what's it, what, how did that prepare you to be able to kind of do your own thing more? Have you been able to meld that? Here's the music I like, here's what I want to make, but I know how to minister to people through music. Do you feel like having both those sides helps you out? Yeah, I think it does. Um, you know, I think like, I think, I think here's the thing. I think that the sweet spot though is to combine them both. Mm. Because if you're if you're ministering to somebody just outside of music, like just from, you know, I think I think music is a tool that sure. the Lord has given us, you know, and I think like that is kind of the way to get to the minister part. You know what I mean? Um, I, I I don't know, you know. I think like I think they both kind of almost coexist. You know? Sure. It's like. It's like, I think the sweet spot, though, is if you can put your heart, like the heart behind your ministry in your music, because then it already gets whoever is, you know, at the concert, it already gets them prepared for 
your ministry of talking to them or whatever it is after the show, you know, mm. um, and and for what you're saying on stage, you know what I mean? It's you're already. I don't know. It's it's just key to be who you are, man, to be genuine and to be authentic and whatever you feel called to do, you know, to do it. That's fantastic, man. Well, I think that's that's about 10 minutes. That's perfect. Jordan, thank you so much for your time. That was really awesome stuff, dude. Oh, man. Yeah, thank you, dude. Thank you for having me, man. I'm really appreciative. I'm glad we got the chat, man. It's awesome. All right, that was a very cool conversation with Jordan. Really cool of him to take the time. I really enjoyed a lot of the stuff he had to say there. The new record is The River. It's available on April 22nd everywhere. You can get the single on that, which is also called The River right now. And uh, very cool news, that single, The River, is going to be on The Bridge Podcast coming out next week. Jordan was cool enough to give us permission to use that. So if you don't know about The Bridge Podcast, every Monday we put out a show. It features a couple, normally features a couple of songs we made in-house and then a sermon by Glenn or myself, occasionally a guest preacher. It's a little 20-minute worship service, and uh, The the River's a great song, and Jordan was cool enough to let us use that. So we'll be looking at that on The Bridge Podcast, episode 142, coming out next week. All right, we're going to jump to our next question here. It ties into a little bit of what Jordan was talking about, that kind of, you know, claiming something as your own and finding your own uh, way to do things. And this comes into our Tumblr and it says, I go to a Christian university that requires chapel attendance theological study. Yet I feel that since I've been a student here, my faith with God has dwindled. How can I keep my faith more like a relationship and less like a formula? How can I keep my faith more like a relationship and less like a formula? And Glenn has actually lectured at Christian colleges and uh, dealt with a lot of like interns and stuff from there. So I, territory yeah. you know pretty well. So why don't you start I, us off? I laugh when you said that because I've I've uh, I've spoken at these chapel services before at to Christian colleges. What I've not done is spoken more than once at chapel services. Dropping <laughs> some truth bombs in the chapel service. Well, the, the students loved it. Sure. But uh, the faculty, not so much. Um, yeah. Uh, here's, here's, I think, the, the, the key question I, I want for you to ask yourself is, are you being fed in these chapel services? Mm. If you're being fed in these chapel services, then... Really, there's not much of a problem here. You're, you're. Can you define "fed" for us? That's one of the Christian words. Yeah. Which, tell us what exactly what you mean by that. Yeah, what I mean is, if you look at uh, the the fuel, so to speak, that you need to keep your walk going. If you're looking at, if if you happen to need encouragement, if that's your thing, if you need uh, a, a better understanding of the Bible and how to walk that and how to live that out, if you need, you know. If you need uh, uh, a good worship time, if that's sort of key to your walk, is this uh, keeping you fed? You know, uh, their job, what they're trying to do with these chapel times, is to keep you spiritually fed, to feed you, to to provide you with the stuff that you need uh, in your walk. Uh, the The question I'm uh, getting you to ask yourself is: Are they doing a good job? Because if they are, then your walk is in good shape, and I think. Uh, then at that point it becomes about uh, taking it from something that's maybe overly regimented and personalizing that, making it your own. And that has to do with stuff that has nothing to do with chapel or the school or whatever. But if if you're coming to a Christian school uh, and your comment on that is, I feel like my faith uh, with God has dwindled, to, to quote the, the, the question here, uh, which, by the way, you're not the only one. We do actually hear Very this. Very common. Yeah. 
Uh, they've done statistical studies of that. It is numerically common. It is measurably common. Right. And 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 uh, so it's not just you. That's yeah, the point we'd right. like to make on that. Um, and here's the thing: it's a simple consideration. It it ha- carries heavy implications, but it's a simple consideration. If you're not getting fed, are you okay standing still in one spot where lightning might be able to strike you and say? At this Christian school, with these professional speakers and the things and the most learned whatever with the whatever, I am not being fed. They are not feeding me, and I am going unfed at this Christian school. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they are evil people. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It simply means there is a disconnect somewhere in this process, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um. If that's the case, then um, that's the problem that we need to work here. It's not so much that your walk has become regimented or it's sort of being choked out by sort of having the regularity of going to chapel. If you're, if it, 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 My point is, if you're going to chapel and you're getting fed, you don't think of it as a chore that you have to do yeah. in a work, or excuse me, a school requirement that you have to fulfill. If you're going and that's the highlight of your day, then it's, it becomes a get-to instead of a have-to for you, and you're, you're going to do that. So uh, he, here's why I answer it that way, and I'll, I'll kick it around to these other guys. The reason why I answer that question this way is there is a huge tendency that we see, particularly within uh, sort of a middle-class suburban church uh, part of, of the Christian profile, that simply refuses to say this worship service was great and it and it and I felt fed and it, but this one sucked all the air out of the room right. and, and in fact the funny thing is I I once was uh was uh I I once really upset a Christian school uh and and a very large uh, body of students that were there. I really upset the faculty by suggesting that some of us will go to church and hear a song that is played with such sadness and so lack of reverence for God that it makes you die a little inside, is the way I put that. (laughs) Maybe a song ironically titled, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Them. Exactly right. Uh, and the, the the entire room fell out because they knew exactly what I was talking about, and the faculty never had me back, but you know... But my point is, we, we, there's a subtle pressure to not say mm-hmm. yep. mm-hmm. this just isn't the thing, dude. And I, I'm I'm encouraging you to come out from underneath that and simply say, again, no judgment on anybody. Am I getting fed? Am I not? If I'm not, I, that's for me to work out. And the faculty never had me back. <laughs> Yeah. A story of Glenn <laughs> preaching at colleges. That's right. <laughs> I think that's a very important point, but it also ties in this thing you're saying, which I want to make sure we get clear before we move on, is that you can admit I'm not getting fed by this without taking that the step further of that's because the faculty sucks, right, that's because that's right. speakers suck, that's because chapel sucks, that's because you just suck. All, any or all of those things could be true, right. but that's actually not the point. That's right. You're right. not getting fed here, and you have to come. That These right, Christian right. colleges... Some of them, it's daily. Some of it's mm-hmm. a few times a week. But there's a time when, like like a class, you have to mm-hmm. be your butt in that chair, mm-hmm. and they check you off. 
So when we and there to, may be good days and bad days for that, you know. Absolutely, or it could just be, and I think this is the case in a lot of these. That as you're pointing out, especially in these college, even they don't have a huge student body. If it's just a couple thousand people, they're trying to put on something that kind of works. Mm-hmm. It's a, mm-hmm. a very common church thing of we want something where everybody's comfortable, and part of what that means is probably not going to set anybody's hair on fire. Mm-hmm. But so if we're if what we're worried about in this question, Lee, I'd love to get you to speak to this is not the goal is not, I'm going to remake college chapel services so that they are engaging mm-hmm. to a new generation or whatever type of thing people put on Twitter. It's I'm not getting fed. I need to do something for my walk. So what is an individual thing we can do? Well, one of the things I think is, is going to be uh, kind of go right on the back of the stuff that Glenn was talking about there, which is just to reevaluate our understanding of what the goal of these worship times should be for us. Um, I think for a lot of Christian folks, and this is not just folks in Christian school and in college and stuff like that, they have the feeling that the worship time is the end goal of my Christian faith. Um, Or the Bible study time is, you uh, you know, theological study is the whole point of what it means to be a Christian. This is the sole end, end all, be all of what it means to be a Christian. Or singing these songs, this is the point of my Christian faith. And the thing is, is that a lot of people don't realize that that the the church service, you know, that that worship time, it should be like a gym where you go to work out. You know, you go to work out so that you can. Like so that you can get stronger. I mean, we go to the to a worship service to get encouragement, uh, to sing with the other folks in the family of God, and to get to get an encouraging word from a pastor, you know, somebody in the church or something, so that we are uh, so that we are built up, encouraged, refueled. Like I, I love that word that Glenn used. This is our this is our chance to get fueled up for the thing that that walking with Jesus is really about, which is serving and reaching out. That's what this whole thing is about. And we we have these we have this worship time and we have and we study scripture together and study scripture on our own because this is where we get the fuel and the fundamentals we need to do the thing that that life is really supposed to be about, which is getting out there and doing something. And so if you uh, one one thing that you can actually do is you can change uh, your concept of what this thing is supposed to do. This this thing is not supposed to make me feel like I have now reached the pinnacle of Christian nirvana. This is th- this worship service was so amazing that I just was steeped in holiness and I just reached a new level of of being. And that's what this thing is supposed to do. No, it's supposed to build you up, get you encouraged, get you ready to go back out there and do the thing. And a lot of times folks who are putting on worship services don't know that as well. And so if we've got to see this thing for what it is and then realize that if I'm not if, if I'm feeling like my my Christian life is tanking in this in this kind of situation, one, I might be, you know, I a lot of people might be telling me to see this thing the whole wrong way around. But two, I need to use this to get me fueled up and to get and to get sharp so that I can go out and do the thing that my life is supposed to be about which is go find somewhere to serve somebody and not only that but find somewhere where other people are are already in motion already moving in that direction and hit your wagon to those people hang out with them become friends with them uncoil with those people hang out with those people then your <clears throat> the inner life of your walk with God is really going to flourish at that point because that's what this thing is about, 
not just Bible study for the sake of holiness or worship for the sake of godliness or whatever. These things are fuel to get us what to get us ready to do the thing that is the actual point. It's a really strong point. Jed, love you to close this out. Kind of building on that, there's not, it's absolutely the right advice to find something to do, find mm-hmm. something, whether that's you do personally, you do with a group of service, that's really will kickstart your Christian life. Here's my question to you, though, is if you're like our friend who wrote in the question, I think a lot of people, both in Christian colleges, maybe just in church, where one of the, the problem is... I am unmotivated. Mm. The problem is this is sucking the life out of me. Mm-hmm. So what's the relationship to, I mean, people will tell you, go find your passion and mm-hmm. pursue it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is I don't feel passionate about uh, anything. Mm-hmm. This guy's telling me about a God who sacrificed himself that I could go uh, go to heaven forever. And he's it's delivered in such a soul crushing way that my response to that is. <laughs> yeah. So how do we go about finding something moving forward when we're not feeling it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Well, I think part of the answer to your question begins with acknowledging um, what has to be part of why you're not happy now. I, um, I'm not a good person. So one of the ways that manifests itself is if you tell me to do something, I instantly hate it. Yeah. If you make anything mandatory... Um, I want to set the building on fire. There is no chapel service so good that if I have to be there, if I'm required to be there, it's going to be an encouragement and an uplift to me. Right. That, that doesn't exist for me. Now, again, I'm a bad person, so, you know, but perhaps you share that with me. Uh, Mm -hmm. and if you do, that would make sense. But I say that because Matt, part of the answer to your question is you can't feel passionate about something you're required to do. Yeah. Uh, there's there's no such thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Passions are get-tos, not have-tos. But that doesn't change the fact, we need to know that, but it doesn't change the fact that you're starting from a place of feeling dispassionate about life in general and trying to figure out what to do with that. The answer is to suspend disbelief for a moment. I'll tell you what I mean by that. You can't wait till you feel passionate and then act. That day will not come. That's a bad strategy. The answer is to say... Hello, people of the internet. Hello, people you of the internet. You cannot wait until you're passionate to act. <laughs> the answer is to say, I am going to try a few things. I'm not going to commit to them for a year. I'm just mm-hmm. going to try them and see what do I feel any kind of spark within myself at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to judge that. I'm just going to try some things. Uh, maybe I'm going to brainstorm, take out my journal and write down, here are four practical ways I could go serve other people where I am. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know what college you go to. So if you're out in the country, you'd have one set of opportunities. If you're in the city, you'd have another set of opportunities. But, but just for instance, I could go to the homeless shelter and volunteer over there with getting their food pantry set up. I could go to the soup kitchen and I could help serve a meal over there. I could go to the nursing home and I could, you know, read to folks that are that are dealing with, um, you know, uh, medical problems. Just take those three for a second. I'm going to try for one afternoon or one evening each of those. I'm just going to see what happens. Now, maybe you go and you try all three of them and you go, eh, I don't you know, whatever. Okay, that's fine. We can, we can try other things. But it's also equally possible that you, two of them, you're like, ah, oh, that was okay. But one of them was like, you know, I kind of, there's something about that. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked that kind of, you know, I, I don't, I'm not prepared to quit school and just do that. But there was a thing about that that appealed to me. Go back, go mm-hmm. back and do it a second time. Try and figure out what was that thing. What was that thing that, that appealed to you? You'll hear people talk about, you know, I tried this thing and it was like a bell going off inside of me and whatnot. And that's great. And that does happen for some people some of the time, but that's not 
always where things start. Um, that's often more the end of a process rather than the beginning of the process. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the process is trying things. What all of us mm-hmm. can tell you for certain is your faith will become more real to you as it manifests in service to others. Absolutely. That's right. That we can promise you is true. Mm-hmm. What type of service to what type of people? Well, that depends. Mm-hmm. The answer is you must explore. You, right. you must try exactly. things. If you will try things, you will find something. That's right. And and ask God to guide you. He will. He right. he cares, man. He created you with a purpose. He he wants to to show you that. But don't wait till you have emotions. Start by trying things and don't don't wait for a bell to go off. Look for that spark. Just that right. little bit of, you know, I did dig that. Let me dig deeper on that one opportunity. Real quick to just kind of tie this stuff together. Part of what we're we're talking about here is when you're going to a Christian school, when you're you know part of an institution like that, they give the students a certain amount of, I'm not going to say hype, but they give you a, a sort of a sales pitch. This is the white hot center of Christianity. This is it. <laughs> this is where it all begins. Yeah. The great movement of God sparks from this place. And we send them forth unto the, you know, so on and so forth. Here's what we're trying to say, and we're trying to say this in the nicest way possible. The white hot center of Christianity is in that chapel service down at the jail on Sunday morning where those guys are getting down with Jesus, and, and we're there working. That's, it's at the old folks' home. It's, it's with the, uh, uh, the, the people that are volunteering at the hospital. It's, it's with the, the youth tutoring. group. Most often, yeah, all church. of it. That's where that's the yeah. white hot center of Christianity. Not to be ugly at all, but it, it, when we do go to those Christian schools or we're at seminaries or whatever, uh, there are many times we look around and, and at that situation and say, "Oh, this is where Christianity goes to die." Yeah, you know. So <laughs> to be nice uh, about it, to be nice. I'm being nice. I'm being subtle about. It. Totally. But so if you experience a, a feeling of uh, this isn't quite what I thought it would be, and this isn't, you know, a, a bit of a letdown, recognize that might kind of be the hype turning out to not quite be true, and we're we're kind of giving you more of the, the, the reality behind yeah. that. That's absolutely right, and I'll close this out just by a real quick saying this. Um, what we've, the picture we painted here, which is, again, a very accurate one of Christian colleges, because we live in an area where, if you've heard of two of them, they're the two that are in the Chicagoland area. Um, it's What you're describing here is a lot of well-meaning people doing the best they can to do something that's kind of impossible Mm -hmm. to get a worship service going that college kids who have to be there and have Bible classes and Bible studies and Bible tests get excited about Mm -hmm. at seven o'clock in the morning. Right. So we're not, again, we're not criticizing that per se. It's a lot Mm -hmm. of people who we could go to the tippity top and just describe if that's a good idea. But Mm -hmm. as Gwen's pointing out, the customer base for this is not so much the kids as the parents Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. daily chapel service sounds super good to Christian parents. So this really is about a lot of what Lee and Jed were talking about there, which is customization. Mm -hmm. The, The goal here is not to fix the chapel service. The goal is focus on your walk. What are some things you can do? And you got That's a right. lot of good tips on that. So we're going to move on to our final question here. It says, hey, guys, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. The first 10 to 15 minutes of each episode makes my day. Correct. You guys speak a lot on boundaries, <laughs> and I'm working on creating them, which involves me standing up for myself since I have been a bit of a wallflower for most of my life. I'm particularly working on setting boundaries with my brother, who he's, who speaks to me only to use me or poke fun at me, which is really devaluing and dismissing of my own opinions restating that his is the most important. 
I know that I'm defined by Christ who loves me, but how do I interact with a person I can't, where I can't remove myself from the situation who won't treat me with respect? And Lee, why don't you kick us off on this? Absolutely. Thanks for uh, writing in the question. And, you know, we should start out by saying it sucks, you know, what you're going mm-hmm. through. And, uh, and we're sorry to hear about it, especially if you're in a situation where you can't, you know, you can't get out of it right now. Obviously, the place that we want to land is a situation where you can have a face-to-face conversation where you are able, as you're saying, you, you, you are down with the conversations about boundaries and stuff like that. A situation where you can have a face-to-face conversation and say, hey, I need you to know that this, you know, A, B, and C, these words, tones, you know, jokes, they will not fly anymore. You cannot talk to me that way ever. It's disrespectful. It's hurtful. And I know you don't want to disrespect me in this way. That's where we want to land. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and I think that's, you know, you're definitely at some point, that's, that's the conversation that you want to be able to have. Now, when I, when I read through this, I don't know the ages of everybody involved. Obviously some of these details would help us figure out exactly how to kind of, you know, how to, you know, really kind of micro figure out how to, how to make this work. But one of the things you might be dealing with is just maturity, you know, you might be dealing with somebody that doesn't have the maturity of the frontal cortex to be a person yet. And uh, if if that's the situation or, or, or whatever the deal is, one thing that I would suggest as you make your way toward that conversation that you eventually need to have is, is there a way for you in your current situation to reach out to this dude and show him some respect in a way that he would recognize as you're really coming across the aisle? Um, you're, you're really trying to enter into his world and, you know, hang out with him, ask him about something that he cares about that you normally wouldn't at all. Uh, just it's, it's, uh, what I'm suggesting is just, uh, to, uh, to, to show some interest in a, in a part of his life where it just becomes obvious to him that in a way that you don't have to, you're showing him a lot of respect. You're just reaching out. Um, it, it mightn't be a thing that doesn't work at all. This dude might be so immature that this is not going to be a deal at all. But a lot of times the way that you get respect from somebody is you show respect first. And if you're able to, if you're able to set up a different kind of rapport, if you're able to change the channel on the, the way that this brother sister relationship has always worked, it may open up, um, a, a kind of a different tone and give you the chance to have that conversation where you can specifically say, this won't fly. This won't fly. You, we can't do this anymore. It's a very good place to start. Jed, maybe I can get you to look at the idea of um, someone who doesn't want to change. That's really yeah. the difference that our, our question asker's at point out here. Most of the boundary stuff we talk about is in uh, dating relationships. We talk about boundaries of like church people, boundaries yeah. of friends, and all those are something where the uh, the nuclear option is, and if they don't, tell them to kick rocks, yeah, don't right. be somewhere else. Uh, we're clearly dealing with someone, as, as Lisa, we don't have the ages, but who, at least for now, does not have the option to... Um, live somewhere else than this right. person, which we actually deal with a lot at the bridge and at jail. We actually deal with a lot of that kind of, you're stuck in this situation. What's the best thing to do? So yeah. will you tell folks like that, who we work with, who are uh, being disrespected, but they are stuck for the time being. That's a great question. Uh, we should say it, it bears repeating. We're sorry for what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if it helps at all, I lived what you're dealing with. Like precisely. Um, I can, I can understand every detail of it. And um, uh, Lee is right that some people um, they're just immature. And, you know, if you can kind of help them see the deal, then, you know, they, they're prepared to act different. But some people are just jerks mm-hmm. um and they're they're on what they're on 
Let's say this about boundaries because this is really important. Boundaries are not about controlling the behavior of another person. That's right. Um, that's mm-hmm. not what boundaries are. Boundaries are an assertion of what you are going to do. That's mm-hmm. a very strong and important distinction. Let me say that again. Boundaries are not about controlling the behavior of another human being. Right. And they're not about that because you don't have the ability to do that. That's right. Boundaries right. are about asserting clearly and definitively what you are going to do, the behavior you will and will not put up with. Now, with that in mind, you you say that you cannot remove yourself from the situation by which I think you mean you live at home and so does your brother. So, you know, there's a certain amount of FaceTime. Um, I would encourage you to do what I did, which is to minimize exposure and be somewhere else every waking hour of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you you do have that option, actually. Yeah. Um, um, I, it depends a bit on your parents, the way that needs to structure itself. In other words, my parents didn't care what I did, so I could just... I could just be anywhere I wanted to be, which I did. Um, if your parents are more controlling, enroll yourself in every activity at your school you can find. Um, enroll yourself in every activity at your church you can find. Anything your brother's not involved in, be involved in that activity. Um, when you can't remove yourself from the situation, you can minimize the exposure to that kind of awful behavior. Again, there are people where they're, they're just immature. They, they, don't, they don't mean to be awful, and, and so there's a way we can talk and we figure this out. Some people are toxic. Um, you know, I hope for your sake that your brother's in the former category. If they're in the latter category, though, minimizing exposure is actually all you've got. Right, um, right. That's that's the only option that's available to you. But this is the the key thing I'd encourage you on is don't um, don't downplay that option in your mind. Um, mm-hmm. If you're dealing with a toxic person, one hour a day of dealing with them is infinitely preferable to ten hours a day right. of dealing with them. You know, and um, it's the right thing to do. It's no question about it. We work with guys. Just to give you, you know, one other real world example, we work with guys that are in um, work release programs. These are minimum security prisons where they're able to work a job. They have to sleep at the facility at night, but they're able to work a job during the day, and they're you know sometimes able to get passes to see family on the weekends and whatnot. And these are generally pretty toxic environments. You know, there's a lot of really unpleasant people that that are at these facilities. And, you know, we get this exact kind of question pretty often, actually. You know, I'm trying to act like a person. I got these other people around me and they're they're just making me, you know, miserable and whatnot. What do I do? It turns out having three jobs that you work 15 hours a day um, and then you have two hours of commuting and, you know, seven hours of sleep is infinitely better than one job and an extra 12 hours being at that center. Right, um, right. You may you may be fatigued, but you'd be much happier and fatigued right. than ready to murder everyone in being at that center. Right. So I'd encourage you, you can do this, minimize exposure, find other places to be, other things to do, and we would love to talk about the specifics of your situation. Absolutely. Please contact us. We'd love to talk further and get into more detail with what you're dealing with. That's absolutely right. And Glenn, maybe I can get you to close us out, close us out on this by kind of marrying these two concepts. So... Mm. Lee has kind of given us the best case scenario, which is this is just a kid who doesn't really know which way is up and perfectly plausible happens a lot. Uh, Jed has given us kind of the other side of that. Let's go to the playing for time element Mm -hmm. because Jed said something there, which is interesting about, you know, this is the way you treat a toxic person, which is true. It can also be the way you treat a total knucklehead until they're ready to come around. It turns out. So the difference between a toxic person and a knucklehead is actually just a time factor. Yeah, that's true. Minimizing exposure right now is a good thing in both cases. Right. And Jed Jed and Lee have also pointed out here that what we want to focus on what we can do, what we control. Right. So if you're this young lady, what are you, what are you going to do in those moments where you have to be with this person to plant those seeds for 
if we ever want to come around to a functional relationship, we can't have things like this. Yeah, I think the thing I want to zero in on with that is the this is actually really poor communication. I mean, the person is being rude with it, but my guess is they're being passive-aggressive. If somebody thinks mm. that what you're saying is dumb and they're teasing you about it instead of telling you, well, I'm not sure I agree with what you're saying. Here's some other things you might think about. That's what a mature person does. Uh, an immature person uh, or a person with issues like we're talking about here will handle that passive-aggressively, and it comes out as sort of teasing, snarky kind of behavior. I'll tell you where I, I, how we can start to dig in on this, Okay. When I started working uh, here in Chicago, I was working with gang members on the north side of Chicago. These are Puerto Rican gang members. And they they knew a lot about getting along with one another because they all had guns. Yep. So if you get in an argument, then everyone would die. So they learned how to... Conflict management, I believe the term is used. Uh, One of the things that I remember them talking about, they gave me a, a phrase in Spanish, but it sort of roughly translates to... There's a bit of truth in every jest. And, mm-hmm. and, and when you mm-hmm. tease people, there's a truth in there. And what they were saying is, you don't tease someone unless you mean it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a perfect thing to take to your brother. You know, I, I know you're teasing me about that, but I'm actually taking you seriously. I think you mean exactly what you say, mm-hmm. that you think mm-hmm. I'm dumb on this. That's what I'm reading. Because if you don't, if you think... If you're just being funny mm-hmm. uh, and you think I'm 100% right and really smart about this, I'm open to that. You can tell me that. I, I will hear that. I'll receive that. And that you're just trying to be funny because you think I'm a really smart person. I've said a really smart thing and, and you just wanted to kind of make a joke off of that. But I think you actually don't agree with me. You're just not telling me. Mm-hmm. Here's what you need to do. Just tell me. Mm-hmm. I'm grown. You're grown. Right. Let's have a, an adult conversation here. I mean, you may be young, but you know, yeah. you're you you you're you're in a position where if you have a disagreement with what I'm saying, stand your ground, look me in the eye and state it. Don't do this mocking belittling thing because again, you aren't being sly with that, you're not being smooth with that, right. you're not sneaking it in there with a little zing. I'm just reading that as someone who lacks the courage or the convictions to stand his ground and say what it is that he's going through. Um, But I think within that, I also want to plant a seed that that's to that person, as as Matt's asking about, that this is not how you handle anything in life, that that, uh, I love you, I'm related to you, so when you say these things, I'm inclined to be patient with you and love you and forgive you and urge you to be a human being about it. Mm-hmm. When you leave this house and go into the world, if you do that, someone will punch you in the face. <laughs> you need to understand that about life. You can't, if you have a marriage and your wife says something you disagree with and you don't have the courage to look her in the eye and say, honey, I'm not so sure I agree with that. I think there maybe there's another way to look at this. I'd like to you know, kind of per what we were talking about earlier, if instead you just mock and deride your wife, you're going to be married about 15 minutes. Period. So it's it's an important truth to kind of lay out to try and speak to sort of the meta situation here of, 
I, I know you're trying to be smooth and be cute and it's a thing and whatever, but I'd really rather you just look me in the eye and tell me what you think rather than all this. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, no, I'm not, it's not like that. I'm just kidding. No, but I think you mean what you're saying. In fact, when you kid, I take it as you right. mean exactly what you're saying. And uh, therefore, you might as well just say it because that's how it's going to be received. You know, I think that sort of decodes the conversation so that the other person doesn't feel as though they're able to manipulate. And I think that's yeah. the important thing. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And I, th- I know I can speak from personal experience. I think everybody else in the podcast can too. Um, these kind of relationships, particularly sibling ones, but relationships you have when you're young with certain people, they can change texture and timbre over time. You can, mm-hmm. but that does take a lot of time. And as Jed pointed out, as these other guys have uh, reiterated, one of the best things you can do for your sanity right now is just, Deal with it as little as you need to. And as Glenn and Lee pointed out, be firm and direct when you do have to deal with it. All right, so if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. If you're writing in the Tumblr, please mention the podcast. I know that you want it answered on here. I want to say big, another big thank you to Jordan Feliz for sharing woo, a few minutes with us. Very good conversation. Yeah. Remember, you can check his new song, The River, out on next week's Bridge podcast. We're going to take out the song from last week's Bridge podcast. Last week we had another one of our great Christian thinkers episodes where we walked through kind of the life and work of uh, kind of a great Christian thinker on an episode where we we're talking about Christian colleges. This, this month's episode was DL Moody. Ooh, right. So nice. uh, not only did we have kind of a short biography of Moody, if you check out the bridge podcast, one forty one, we had uh, two songs that were direct adapted directly from his work. One was sung by Mr. Lee younger, fantastic track. Oops. The other one is one we're going to take out with us from our friend who we've interviewed on the podcast for Randall. Good game. It's a song that uh, Jed yeah. wrote out of, uh, Deal Moody's writings, Randall's singing it, features some uh, guitar work by our friend Andrew Osega. Really good song called Cannons on a Lighthouse. We're going to take it out with that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, new churro idea. It's a churro inside a churro. I call it a churro churro. You don't put cannons on a lighthouse, no, because you don't need noise for me to know you shine. Oh, you shine. Don't put cannons on a lighthouse, no, cause we don't need noise for us to know they shine. Oh, they shine. You're a city on a hill, so when we go and do His will, your light will shine, 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 shine. You're a city on a hill, so when you go don't need cannons on a lighthouse, no, cause you don't need noise for us to know they shine, they just shine. You don't put cannons on a lighthouse, no, cause we see it all and 